Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello, my friends. Hello. It's Monday. Oh, baby. It's Monday and we are ready to rock and roll. I uh, got a big show for you today. Big show. Big show. Lots of stuff going on. Let's uh, let's give you the let's give you the full run- rundown, shall we? This morning we're going to start off uh, the program here uh, with just a few headlines from around the state. A few things that are going on and happening. Uh, a couple things that make you just go, what? Uh, and uh, then we're going to dive into it with Kevin Bowden, who is with the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Uh, he is the uh, he's the staff attorney and the director of the international division, and he is here to talk with us about uh, homeschooling, expanding it, and the potential pitfalls and dangers of <clears throat> school choice. Now I know that seems counterintuitive. You would think that school choice in regards to homeschooling would be, I mean, you know that that's they go hand in glove, right? Um, well, <clears throat> the HSLDA's got some concerns, and so we're going to talk with him about those and figure out what those might be. What's the cause? What's going on with that? And we'll get that full rundown here in just a few minutes from Kevin. Then in hour two, we're going to be talking with Nick Baggage. That's right, congressional candidate Nick Baggage, who is going to be joining us every couple of weeks here from now until Election Day to talk about all the issues uh, that are going on and we'll see if we can uh, we'll see if we can we'll see if we can get him uh, squared away here in hour two he'll be joining us uh, so it should be a full a full boat this week's already filling up I was surprised I did a little additional extra work last week and I've already got a bunch of uh, uh, already got a bunch of stuff scheduled uh, throughout the week and uh, looking like it's gonna be pretty much uh, pretty full. Uh, so it should be fun. We got Chris Chang on Friday. Uh, we got, of course, uh, we've got, of course, uh, Chris Story and uh, De- uh, uh, Brad Keithley tomorrow. Uh, then we have Grave Merce- uh, Greg Merced on to talk with us on uh, Thursday about social media and um, teaching kids about economics and like personal finance, which uh, I always thought was a fascinating topic. Uh, and more. We got, we got stuff already lined up. It's going to be a good one. So we're looking forward to it. And, of course, already it feels better, doesn't it? It feels better. Um, I don't know about where you are, but uh, it's like seven above here at the old radio ranch. And it feels like almost like a tropical heat wave. Uh, I mean, I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt and I'm thinking maybe I should have worn a short sleeve shirt here in the studio. It's nice and warm. So we're feeling pretty good about it. And we are ready to go. How was your weekend? 
Did you enjoy it? Was it a was it everything you'd hoped for and then some? I mean, it was. I had a fantastic weekend. I I, I always do. I always have a fantastic weekend. Uh, it seems like uh, some are shorter than others, some are faster than others, but uh, this weekend was just right. You know, not too short, not too long, just right. Not too long. Could there even be such a thing as not too long? I'm, I'm unsure. Um, all right. <clears throat> so what are some of the headlines that we are going to uh, crash into today? Well, um, I will just... I will just touch on this because you would have thought that after last week that people would be all, no, two more roofs collapsed in Anchorage over the weekend on Sunday, just hours apart and literally just across the highway from each other, just across the Seward Highway from each other. Uh, two more roof collapses. One of them was a minor, like a portico collapsed, uh, although it did crush, uh, it did crush a, it crushed a beautiful Mini Cooper. I'm very sad for whoever's Cooper that was. Um, but the other one was uh, a significant, like half the building collapsed. Um, and of course, this is all due to the heavy snow load um, that have uh, happened. That is the, what did they say? Is this the 19th collapse? I think this is the 19th collapse uh, since last winter. <clears throat> Man, I'd have, I'd have 10-year-old kids up there with snow shovels getting that stuff out of there. I mean, that'd probably be an OSHA violation, but you know what I mean? I would be just shoveling to beat the band on this one. Uh, but it just keeps, I guess we, it, I guess this is all part of that, uh, uh, that kind of that thing of it'll never happen to us, right? That avoidance or the, or the belief that, you know, it always happens to the other guy. Um, if I had a flat roof, oh baby, I could tell you where I'd be right now. I would be somewhere else. I would be up on top with her with a shovel and a snowblower getting rid of that stuff. Uh, so that I just I had to mention that one because, wow, uh, it just it just keeps going. I thought that we would be I thought we would be beyond that. Um, Senate Bill 88, the public employee uh, union backed defined benefits bill that Kathy Geisel has been all about. Um, it was called to the Senate floor for a vote for reconsideration on Friday, uh, and Senator Lyman Hoffman, who co-chairs the Senate Finance Committee, flipped his vote to a no. So that means that both co-chairs of Senate Finance have now opposed the bill, and uh, <clears throat> which left the committee with no fiscal note, and then passed in the Senate with no fiscal note. I mean, that's a pretty, that's a pretty, I mean, that pretty much says it all. Uh, one uh, Capital Insider is quoted inside of Must Read Alaska saying, this is incredibly significant. We have, we now have two finance co-chairs opposed to SB 88, a rural Democrat who does not believe it's fiscally responsible to reinstate pensions for 37,000 public employees. It's significant, too, because it signals to rural Democrats in the House that SB 88 is not the best thing since sliced bread, unquote. That was the actual quote. Um, <clears throat> Senator Kathy Geisel, who is the lead sponsor of the bill, was choked up during her special order floor speech on Friday while she talked about public employees. Her husband works for the Department of Transportation and makes between $100,000 to $200,000 a year, according to her financial records. She... She is said to have walked out of the leadership meeting in the Senate president's office crying, perhaps realizing 
the prospects for her unvetted bill are weak in the House. Um, and it is, uh, well, it's it's just interesting to see, isn't it? It's still going over. It's still over at the House now. This really is not, nothing more than signal Lyman Hoffman's, uh, you know, uh, intent. This is one of those things where you can have your cake and eat it, too. You can have it both ways, right? You can vote for it. Then you can vote against it on reconsideration. And so you could say you voted for and against it. So depending on who you're running against, you can have it both ways. But the fact that Kathy Geisel got all choked up about it, that I just – I had to uh, – just had to chuckle. I mean, I'm, you know, as much as I'm concerned about, uh, you know, making sure that we've got the best that we can get here in the state, uh, I'm having a hard time feeling for somebody whose, you know, combined income is a half a million dollars a year by the time it's all said and done, uh, getting all choked up about uh, state employees. I mean, they're, I think most of them are doing okay. I think most of them are doing just fine. Here's some other good news. <laughs> I don't want to gloat too much, but Ann Brown, who's been the chairwoman of the Alaska Republican Party since 2021, is stepping down. The party chair position comes up at the next state convention for the Republican Party. It will be held in Anchorage in April of this year, the 19th and 20, uh, through the 21st. She sent her top committee officers a letter today in which she explained that she and her husband want to do other things besides party business in the coming years. And she's going to move along. Nothing to see here. Move along. And uh, so I think that that's uh, I think that's probably good for the Republican Party. I mean, it. We've talked about this in the past. The Republican Party needs a revamp. They need a they need a reset, a do over. At this point, the only person who's announced that they're running is uh, Nikki Rose. Uh, who I know nothing about. I'll be the first to admit I know nothing about. Uh, but as we we could spend a big part of a segment here uh, on this question alone about whether or not Alaska needs a strong leadership in the party to fix some of the problems, i.e. Lisa Murkowski sending money to fight party incumbents. And I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff in here where as a party chairwoman, <clears throat> Ann Brown, I feel, should have um, should have put her foot down uh, and done some things. Um, so we'll see what uh, we'll see we'll see what happens here. Um, it should be an interesting uh, it should be an interesting run coming up here in the near future to see what happens. Uh, and then finally, uh, the House has voted along bipartisan lines to shorten the time needed to remove somebody from the state voting registry. James Brooks over at the uh, Beacon writes about this one. Uh, HB 129 would allow the state to remove someone from its roles in six years instead of eight. Eight is the current timeline, and it's one of the longest in the country, uh, according to the records. Uh, the new six-year timeline is still longer than the four-year minimum in federal law. Sarah Vance is the chair of the House Judiciary Committee who sponsored it. Um, and uh, even people like Andrew Gray, the Democrat from Anchorage, is, says that it is, it is a common sense bill. Uh, there's more people registered to vote than actual registered voters in the state of Alaska at this point. It's been lopsided for years. There were a handful of Democrats who opposed the bill. Surprise, surprise. 
Sarah Hannon noted that military members, Peace Corps, missionaries, and other Alaskans outside the state aren't included in the population estimate, although I don't think it would make up for the gaping number in question. Um, Andy Josephson from Anchorage said he's concerned that making someone fill out a question ballot, which is part of the process, if you haven't talked to the department in two years to confirm your voting record, you'd have to fill out a question ballot. He said that could deter them from voting. Cry me a freaking river. Uh, and then there was uh, some other minority concerns as well. But the final vote was 33 to 6. The usual suspects of Andy Josephson, Hannon, Zach Fields, Elise Galvin, C.J. McCormick, Donna Mears uh, were, um, were voting against. Surprise, surprise, surprise. But at least it's something maybe to clean up Alaska's voter rolls just a little bit. Which, I mean, that sounds like a good idea to me. When you have more people who are registered to a vote than eligible voters, I would think that that might be a bad thing. I'm just saying. Just saying. Okay, um, we are ready to go. We're jumping into it here in just a minute. Uh, we've got Ken Bowden coming on from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association, and we're going to talk about school choice. That is all coming up here in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. If you missed the show, you can listen to it on your time with Dukes On Demand. Oh, and it's free. Like America used to be. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay. Good morning, good morning, good morning, my... Good morning, my pretties and your little dog, too. All right, what do we got here? Um, Good morning, good morning. Hey, Dad. I saw my dad. My dad's in here. Uh, Good morning, everybody. Nice and warm. Uh, 23 degrees in Sildovia. Ooh, baby. Um, All right. Uh, 12 degrees at Jack's place down on the peninsula. I know it got... got You okay down there? My dog's making wheezing noises. All right. Um, I see that uh, Ken Bowden is uh, in the uh, in the green room. He's he's bogarting all my virtual donuts, eating all those virtual donuts and drinking the virtual coffee. So we're going to get to him here in just a hot second. Somebody says I froze and I locked up. I'm assuming that I'm not locked up anymore. Is that okay? Are we all good? All right. All right. Okay. So hopefully we're all we're all good to go. Let's uh, let's streamline this down here to where we need to be, and I'll pull all the bells and whistles and levers, and we'll do it right here. Ken Bowden, our guest. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. I'm gonna adjust your volume just a little bit here, and hey. uh, make sure that we. Whoops. No, I do not want to kick you out of the studio. That would have been an auspicious start this morning. Okay. Um, all right, we're ready to dive into this. I am good. Uh, I saw from your email you used to live up in um, used to live up in Fairbanks. The the email said that you were familiar with the show because you used to listen to it when you were in Fairbanks. Is that right? 
Yes, I was. Uh, we lived there for five years total, both on active duty, and then we I joined the Alaska National Guard in 2019. So yeah, we have a house in North Pole. I used to commute to Isleson. I used to catch your show from time to time. And anyways, appreciate you having me on. Well, I appreciate you being on. Uh, and I appreciate the fact that neither one of us is up at, uh, uh, in North Pole right now because yes. <laughs> this this last week was this last week was brutal up there, man. It, People it, like it's been bad for a bit. There. Yeah, I look at it and I I think to myself, you know what? I, I love Alaska, but I'm happy not to be there right now. Yeah, no, somebody, one of my neighbors is like, yeah, it's 49 below right now. The other day I was talking to somebody, I was like, geez, yeah, it's crazy up there. Um, yeah. All right, well, we're going to uh, we're gonna dive back into this here in just a hot second. And Thanks. so uh, we're going to get to this. Let me, uh, let me interact with the chat room for just a minute there. Ken and I will put you uh, back in the green room for a second here as we get things ready to roll. All right. <clears throat> So, um, are, am I good? Am I good, folks? Last thing I said is somebody said good morning. Uh, Jeremy said good morning. But that Rick and Gail and a couple others said I had frozen up. So, is it still frozen? Or are you guys in there now? You have to You have to tell me what's going on. Uh, I'm sorry. I said Kevin. I said Ken. It's. It's, why did I do that? I don't know. I don't know, man. That's. That's my problem. That's that's not uh, Kevin's problem. That's my problem. Uh, now I got to go through and check, change it all here uh, because I misspelled it everywhere. That's a mess. It's a mess, man. All right. Um, I'm just fixing it. I'm just fixing it everywhere right now. There we go. B I. Okay. Whew. All right, Kevin. Okay, I fixed it. Because, you know, what a hot, hot mess. Okay, you're good. Roll with it. We're all good. Something, but you're okay. I don't know. Alive and well. All right, we're 60 seconds out. Uh, We're about to make this. uh, We're about to make this thing. Okay. Jeannie says weird. Um... Jess said, I just got my 99th percentile on his PSAT. I've been homeschooling him since moving to and teaching in remote Alaska more than 10 years. I used the $2,000 to pick out his curriculum with allotment, and we use Christian stuff to that I buy on my own. Uh, Admins in remote Alaska hate homeschooling and have always pressured me to put our kids in school, but I said no. The boys stay at home and work in the library. Um, So I never put him on. That's good, Jess. It's good stuff. Congratulations uh on doing your own thing and going to the beat of your own drum all right here we go we're jumping back into it the michael duke show common sense liberty-based free thinking radio like share subscribe ring the bell do all that stuff kevin bowden is our guest we continue right now the michael duke show seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect Pinch of inel. Sorry, that is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Yeah, we are ready to go. Uh, jumping into it right now, getting things started with Kevin Bowden from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. They're an organization dedicated to uh, expanding homeschooling across the country, of which they should be super proud right now because homeschooling is exploding across the nation uh, right now. But they do have some cautionary tales as well. Uh, Surprisingly enough, 
I was reading an article the other day talking about how the the HSLDA is actually fighting against certain provisions of school choice uh, because they have some concerns about not the money itself or not anything else, but the impacts on homeschooling. And so I asked Kevin to come on board to discuss this with us, and he joins us right now. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm well, sir. Thanks for having me on. Well, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, Now, Kevin is not just some talking head from way out of town. Kevin's got some experience. He lived up in uh, he lived up in North Pole for about five years while he was uh, up there serving in the Air Force or the Air Guard and uh, homeschooled his kids and everything else. So he's got he's got some 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 skin in this game. He understands what it's all about. Um, So, Kevin, let's talk specifically first, I guess, give us some background on the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. What is it exactly that you guys do? And then where do we go? You know, then we'll start talking about school choice and everything else. Yeah, so the Homeschool Legal Defense Association is a national homeschool advocacy organization. We operate in all 50 states and the territories. And our mission is really to advocate and advance home education freedom. And so we do that in a couple areas. Of course, we do it in the court system uh, when necessary. Uh, We don't need to do that as much anymore, thankfully. Uh, We also advocate in uh, state legislatures. In fact, just before I came on the show, I was uh, listening to a state legislator out of South Dakota, which which was looking at a school choice bill. And then, of course, we have about 100,000 members, and so we advocate, we help those members with any type of issues that they may have. Sometimes it's an equal access issue. Sometimes it's a superintendent who doesn't understand the law quite as well. And sometimes it's just a basic question for a family who moves to a state and wants to know how to start homeschooling in that state. So broad range of areas, but uh, we've been around 41 years, and uh, it's a pleasure to work there. And, of course, homeschooling has always been near and dear to our heart. Uh, all our kids are now out of school. I had five kids, and we homeschooled them all. Um, our our youngest, who just turned uh, 18, uh, graduated this last year. And uh, so it was kind of an exciting time. Um, and it was a decision that we made early on. Luckily for us, we had um, a lot of flexibility, and we used actually one of the homeschooling systems. We used IDEA, which allowed us to use state money's first curriculum and stuff. And then we bought our own stuff for things that we wanted, uh, any kind of, uh, you know, if we wanted religious material or anything else. But they paid for all the secular things and and all that. Uh, Alaska is actually one of the uh, freest states in the nation for home. It's actually one of the best places to homeschool uh, for the most part and has been for quite a few years. Is that right, uh, Kevin? That's correct. When you look at the statute, it has one of the uh, best statutes in terms of just the freedom of the parent. And basically it just says if you uh, educate your child at home, you're excused from compulsory attendance. And so as you know, no testing, no no subject matter requirements, no notification requirements. So it is, in fact, one of the best states in the nation for those that independent uh, do independent homeschool under the statute. And, of course, uh, many states are reaching out for that and uh, trying to attain something similarly uh, similar rather. And one of the bigger things that's happened lately is there's been a big push for more choice in schools where people, and I think, and Kevin, maybe we could talk about this, the outgrowth from what happened during COVID, the lockdowns, um, you know, the shuttering of schools, uh, and then the resistance from many organizations, including major teacher uh, unions, to reopen those schools. Uh, Even after we were seeing that the 
that the remote learning that the schools were attempting was just not cutting it for most of these kids. In fact, they said, uh, obviously, everybody knows it's been quoted many times now. We had the greatest learning loss in a generation um, over just the course of that one or two years uh, at right during COVID. And uh, but then I think what was really happened was that a lot of people's eyes were open to one. How easy it was, how easy it was to actually take um, control of their own child's education, because I, I think that there was this boogeyman in the closet for many years that basically said, oh, you can't homeschool your kids. You're not smart enough. You're not a professional educator. You're not whatever. So you can't do that. And then it was forced upon them. And many of them discovered, well, this is not that hard. And in fact, it's kind of rewarding and maybe it's better. And my kid is flourishing, not all kids, obviously, but a lot of them were like, wow. And then of course, the second thing was they got a peek behind the curtain at what the powers that be in the education industrial complex are really doing and what they really care about with these teachers unions, not wanting to open schools unless they got some social justice issues figured out and all this other kind of crazy stuff. And people really kind of peeked behind the curtain and went, whoa, and that's where we've seen this explosion in interest in, um, well, homeschooling, because it's gone. I mean, it's it, the numbers have just gone off the chart, but also on this idea of school choice, which could be a combination of things like, um, you know, education savings accounts <clears throat> or the voucher programs or uh, in some cases, which I think is kind of the the uh, the the epitome of what we're looking for for many of us, backpack funding where the funding that would normally go to a student, no matter which school they went to, it follows the student instead of following the school. Um, but you guys are saying that there are some concerns with that. So let's talk about what are the concerns that you guys have in the Homeschool Legal Defense Association about this new choices that are coming out and the monies that are tied to them and what what makes you guys nervous about this kind of stuff? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate this discussion. You know, we have this discussion nationwide. These ESA voucher programs, as you mentioned, are, are, are very popular in many, many states. And, you know, we are simply concerned that some of the freedom that we have achieved in the homeschool community and the rolling back of regulation will be erased as public funding comes in. And some of the, you know, some of the ways that people talk about that as well, we need some level of accountability. We need a way to ensure, you know, transparency of the funds uh, that the family is receiving. It's one thing to say, look, I educate at home. I pay for it myself. I don't receive any state funding. And I can make a pretty good faith argument that you don't need to regulate me. You don't need to have fiscal transparency or accountability because there's no public funds at, at, at issue. As soon as you start handing, for example, in Arizona, you know, a, 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 a parent, you know, $7,000 for a child. The state may have an interest to say, hey, in five years, we're actually interested to know what type of education this child is receiving. And so our, our concern is simply to make sure that as these bills are structured, as they move their way through the legislature, that we ensure that homeschooling remains a legally distinct category, a legally distinct exception under the compulsory education statute. And if you want to add in an ESA bill uh, as a separate category, legally distinct option, you can do that. I think there are some risks that ought to be considered, even if you do that. But it at least it assures that these two uh, educational models don't overlap. And I think actually, Michael, you know, Alaska is a really good example of that. Um, you know, you mentioned IDEA, for example, you know, we're familiar with, you know, Raven and CyberLinks and IDEA and um, some of these other programs. 
you know, what's interesting about Alaska is those students are actually enrolled in the public school. And that's not Kevin Bowden's opinion. That's the former commissioner of education, Michael Johnson, right. in 2022, said these are public school students. Right. And, you know, they're colloquially referred to as homeschoolers in the community. But there are there is a category in Alaska of independent homeschoolers. And as you mentioned, what they have is no regulation. So we so Alaska, I think, is actually a pretty good example to say you can exempt your child from compulsory education under B12. I think it is you have no requirements or you can enroll your child in some form of public education through these correspondence programs and submit to things like the portfolio reviews and so on and so forth. And so you do see a clear distinction between those who don't have any regulation or oversight and those that receive some funding and have some level of oversight, right. you know, some area of what they will and will not fund. So Alaska is an interesting case study because it's been around, frankly, much, much longer than these other states. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we were in the we were in the inaugural class of idea. My oldest daughter was one of the first 20 children or something that was. Oh, wow. in, yeah. So, I mean, we saw it grow from where it was. And it is a public school. It's interior distance. It's distance learning, basically, from a school district. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So technically, you're right. They were enrolled, although we basically designed their entire curriculum. We did it all ourselves. We had a contact teacher if we needed it, which is great. And I could see your point. Point, um, in the problems, because we're already seeing it. I mean, no, no less a luminary person than John Oliver issued his opinion here a while back about homeschooling and how yeah. it's just out of control. And how do we know what these parents are doing with their children? And how, I mean, it was this fear mongering. And we hear about the individual incidents of uh, there was a big case in Michigan where there was somebody who was homeschooling their children, but they were abusing the children. And that's why we needed to know more. And but there are people abusing their children in public schools. There's people that, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a fraction of a fraction of a percentile, but they're using it to leverage over people to basically say, essentially this, you don't know what's best for your children. We know what's best for your children and you need to report to us on what you're doing so that we can give you the go, no go on whether what you're doing for your children is right. To which I basically want to give everybody the proverbial finger and say, <clears throat> it's none of your damn yeah. business. And I think, well, I, think, I mean, I think Michael, if I may, there, what they COVID as you highlighted showed parents that education of the child is not the work of professional teachers that they can do it, they're competent to do it, they're in fact better equipped to do it. And oh, by the way, I don't want my kids learning in, in kindergarten or first grade what you think is appropriate for them. It's totally contrary to my values. And so COVID exposed a lot of that to the public education system. So frankly, we've rolled the tide back a couple of decades and said, well, now we need to look at this risk assessment for child as if somehow right. a superintendent of a district is the guarantor of a child's safety for their entire life until they hit 18. I mean, it's a ludicrous argument. And, you know, we don't need to get into Michigan. I can, but I mean, that that case study in itself is ridiculous given the given who the person worked for and the right. CPS involvement already. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, so they, they've had to revert back to some of these older arguments that have gone by the wayside because they're simply factually incorrect. Right. But they've had to resurrect them because they can't stand on this idea that public schools are doing a good job educating kids. Yeah, because no. Most that they're not. They're overblown. I mean, most of the stories that we're talking about are completely overblown. 
Uh, and yeah, we could get into the Michigan thing, but you're right. It's it's a false argument, essentially, is what I was trying to say, is that it's a false, it's a straw man argument. It doesn't really matter. What you can see is happening is that the education industry is seeing that they're starting to lose control of the narrative. They're starting to lose control of this idea. And they have no one to blame but themselves, because again, they're the ones that were pushing to keep schools closed while private schools were opening and many other schools were opening and the homeschoolers were still going on and everything else. And they were the only ones trying to hold everything closed to, you know, squeeze more juice out of the apple to to get, you know, to get their social justice programs or whatever put together. And that really that really upset a lot of parents, even parents who weren't politically active. Um, I've right. seen the interviews and comments from people who were said, I never took an interest in this before, but now I'm interested because I saw what happened. And they were basically understanding that their children were being sacrificed to the altar of, you know, of this big uh, industrial uh, uh, complex. And and I think that's that's the problem. So specifically, and we're coming up on the break here, uh, so I don't want to get too far into it. But again, just to concise your argument you know, school choice is good. Some of these options are good, but you have to beware because with every piece of bait, there's a hook, right? That's Correct. the big thing. Correct. Yeah, that, that, that that's exactly. And we can get into, school. you know, the school choice, the great school choice options that are exploding across the countries because some of it is very good. But as you mentioned, the educational establishment doesn't like it. They don't want you to think that anyone can educate them, you know, your kids, but you. And so that that's the mindset. But, you know, we, we got micro schools, we got hybrid schools, we got learning collaboratives, we got learning pods. We have this explosion of options that parents are saying, you know what, I'm going to take charge of my kids education and maybe I'm not going to homeschool. Maybe I'm going to send them to a three day a week hybrid school. Maybe we're going to go back to the one room schoolhouse in a micro school with a certified teacher that's outside of this accreditation state controlled process. Right. The schools don't like that because it's a direct threat to what they have created and what they frankly want to keep as the existing monopoly. Right. And parents are looking at it going, you know what, I, I thought that you had my child's best interest in mind. And many parents have learned that in fact, the district, the system as a whole, does not have their interest in mind. Individual teachers, are, there are great individual public school teachers, there's no doubt. There's great superintendents, but the system as a whole is not designed necessarily with the best interest of the child. And that's what parents have learned. And that's what they're ticked off about, even if they were for public schools. You know, they might be right. in favor of the system, but they've realized it's actually failed their child. So they're looking for something different. Kevin Bowden is our guest, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. We're going to continue with him here in just a moment. The Michael Luke Show, <clears throat> Michael Luke Show continues. We'll be back with more right after this. Broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. All right, we're in the break right now. Kevin Bowden is our guest. Uh, Let's uh, uh, let's see. Homeschooling seems like a pay now or pay later scenario. If my son were still in school age, I'd rather make sure he knew how to read, balance a checkbook and do basic math rather than have him walk around completely illiterate and thinking that men can menstruate. I'm with you on that one, my friends. Bill says, uh, I literally deal with people that cannot sign their name on a weekly basis. You cannot tell me the public school system is a good thing. 
Uh, and then Jeannie goes on to say, if someone is teaching my students something against my values, that would be there would be no second chances. I'd pull the ripcord. I I agree. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I initially homeschooled my kids, uh, because I just didn't believe that the school system was doing a good job, even at the ripe old age of 21, which is when we first uh, had our first child. I decided that, uh, you know, well, we decided not just I didn't like lay down the law, but my wife and I talked and we decided that we wanted to homeschool our kids. And uh, it worked out that, like I said, that for us, that idea was right there. We'd met many other uh, parents who had been homeschooling independently up until that point. Things like unit studies and everything else. Um, But there has, as, as Kevin said, there's been an explosion, Kevin. And I want to get into this when we get back. Just that you 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 reeled off just a few teacher shares, learning pods, micro schools. I mean, there's just there's a bazillion different types of things now. Uh, you want to hybrid schools. You want to find a way to do it. We could find a way to do it. And I think that that is that is the most ex- exciting time for uh, for parents um, who ha- want to have something different than the brick and mortar schools for their kids. Yeah, I, I would agree. And it's, you know, I was, let me give, give one example, which I, th- I think is pretty neat. I was at a school choice convention actually a few weeks ago and someone shared a, a school in academic learning environment where they're teaching physics through a skateboard park. I mean, that type of innovation and ingenuity. I mean, could you imagine a kid who loves state skateboarding that really doesn't want to sit down and open a physics book can go and learn about the physics through this platform of skateboarding. I mean, that is a phenomenal, that is American ingenuity. I mean, that, that's capitalism. That's what we support, this idea of free thinking so that the best educational option can be provided to the child instead of we think every kid should go to a classroom, should have science class, and in 11th or 12th grade, sit behind a desk and read about physics in a book. Yeah. Why not take them into the world and show them physics in an environment where they want to learn and where it makes sense to them? And I, I think right. that's wonderful. Well, I always thought, I always thought that the concept of unit study was fascinating. Uh, for those of you who don't know what unit study is, it's where you find something that the kid is fascinated about. Uh, the example that I remember was octopuses. Uh, that this uh, a friend of ours was doing unit studies with their child, and their daughter was just she was about nine years old, fascinated with octopuses, and so they literally built an entire curriculum for each subject around. Octopi, right? I mean, they talked about biology with octopuses. They talked about the mathematics. They talked about, they wrote it into the English and stories about octopuses. And they, you know, the 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 physics with the propulsion of octopuses. I mean, he was just, the dad was so excited about this. And he was like, man, she just, and he, she said that whole semester, and they would do like one thing a semester, and they'd build the whole curriculum around it. And that kid just ate it up. Because it was one of her favorite things. And she did every, and he showed me this big fold out thing where she had it all drawing art. She did the art, but in the art, she had cutaway views of the octopus and the propulsion systems and the ink and the brains and the arms. And I mean, it was just, it was crazy. But that was because, like you said, it was something, it was like hands on, not just sitting reading dry facts in the classroom. It was hands-on like the skateboard park where they were doing something that they loved. That's brilliant. Yeah, and and and, and it's great for the kids. It makes learning enjoyable. And it's, and, you know, instead of kids, they go to school and they, they learn to hate learning because they think it's boring. And yet you and I know, I mean, I learn stuff all the time. I mean, I love learning new things and new areas. And But if I had to go be forced to sit in the classroom for X, Y, Z hours a day, 
and only get outside at you know at certain times and sit in that environment, I would probably hate learning many new things too that I right. would that I would you know innately want to learn if it weren't for the environment that constrains the learning. So yeah. all of these explosion, I mean that 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 is what has happened, and that's that's what's so neat about it. And um, you know we're figuring out what that looks like from a school choice initiative. You know a lot of these states don't necessarily have laws other than the homeschool exemption to use. And so, you know, there, there is some navigating on if, if someone's going to do a micro school, for example, if, a, if a, someone's going to start that and charge tuition four days a week, they're not educating their own children, but they're educating maybe, you know, six or eight families. What does that look like? Should right. that be a category? How should we codify that in the statute? There are these questions that do arise, but suffice it to say, it's, it's a great it's a great time in the history, I think, in education in America because of this explosion. Yeah. No, absolutely. The ding means we're going to return to radio here in just about 20 seconds. We're yeah. talking with Kevin Bowden from the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. Uh, we're going to talk about the choices that are out there, the good ones, the bad ones, what the challenges are. And we will uh, do that here right now. Please like and share, subscribe, ring the bell, do all the youtube and Facebook things that you need to do. Get more people involved in the conversation. Let's get back to it. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. <laughs> Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. That's right, not your daddy. Although my daddy is in the chat room, he's hanging out with us this morning. He's hanging out. Hey, Dad, how you doing? Uh, we're continuing now. Kevin Bowden is our guest, the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. He uh, is uh, uh, counsel with them, and uh, he's here today to talk with us about uh, some different options. Now, like I said, it was kind of counterintuitive when I read that HSLDA was against certain school choices out there. Uh, Kevin's position, of course, is that um, you know, choice is great, except for the fact that when it comes with restrictions or hooks or controls, and that's really what this is all about, because every time they start offering uh, pots of money for you to use, even though it's your tax dollars at work, but then they require you to report to some bureaucrat, some nameless, faceless bureaucrat somewhere to get approval for what you're doing. That's the real problem, right, Kevin? Yeah, that, you know, that, that's the risk. These are new. And so some of this is is coming out. You know, we, we can look at some historical examples on both the economic impact of, you know, large amounts of government, you know, money coming into the economy. Uh, we can look at some oversight uh, that we've seen in other educational areas, for example, uh, private schools. Um, and we can see some legislation that's been introduced. Arizona, you know, passed the first large universal ESA bill in 2021. Uh, you know, Governor Ducey signed that. That was the considered the gold standard for educational choice uh, at the time. Uh, other states have passed it since then, Utah, Arkansas, Florida, Iowa. And the, the concern that we have if homeschooling is not dis, is not a distinct category is that if regulation comes down the road, and we hope it doesn't, I mean, nobody's advocating for regulation. Our position is just that when you start giving parents seven or $8,000 a child, at some point, the state or the public will require a reckoning for that funds, for those funds. And so, and I, I don't think that's actually a dishonest argument. You know, if if the government were to hand me a quarter million dollars to educate my child, I don't think it's unreasonable for the government to, to really ask, what are you doing with it? 
if my kids at senior year can read at a fifth grade level and they've given me a few hundred thousand dollars to educate them, they, they might ask the question, maybe we ought to put some <laughs> protocols in place to, to see that Kevin's doing his job right. And so we just don't want to see those regulations, if they come, bleed over into the homeschool space. Right. And um, so that, that that's really what our fear is. You know, we're, we're very much school choice. I mean, if you don't have school choice, you don't have homeschooling. Right. You don't have right. homeschooling. You don't have micro schools. You don't have learning pods. So I, I'm absolutely a huge school choice advocate. The, the, the rub comes, Michael, honestly, people use the phrase school choice. And what they mean is the public funding of the choice that I'm going to make. Right, and right. So and that's exactly it. Yeah. No, that's exactly it. So let's talk about some of the solutions that are out there um, or ways that we could take this school choice, the ESAs or the backpack funding, and make sure that we don't take the hook, so to speak. Uh, so mm -hmm. let's let's start. Is there any form of school choice that you guys are suggesting is a good idea, short term, long term? Um, what what are you know, is there anything that you guys would support at this point or are you just leery of anything that has the public monies attached because of the potential for the hook later on? Well, we I mean, we are we're laser focused on homeschooling. So if, if another educational option is created that does not impact homeschooling, our general position is that, you know, we're neutral on it because it's not we don't see that as a homeschool issue. So I'll, I'll go to Arizona and Florida could be used as an example as well. In Florida, it's also very, it's, you know, it's very good in Florida or in Arizona as well. It's not quite as easy as Alaska, but you file a one-time affidavit in, in Arizona. When you start to homeschool, you teach the required subjects and there's very little oversight beyond that. But if you are going to move from filing your affidavit in Arizona to the ESA contract, you rescind your affidavit of intent to homeschool and you sign your ESA contract. And part of the part of what you're agreeing to in that contract is not to file your affidavit. So you can see, Michael, that it's very clear what lane a family is in. Either right. they are in the affidavit lane or they're in the ESA lane. Alaska is the same way. Either you sign up with a distance pro, you know, public school program and educate that way, or you don't sign it and you don't do anything and you educate privately, independently in Alaska. So those are the types of distinctions and legal classifications that we think are important. And, you know, we, we've, se we've seen some of these. The very next legislative session in Arizona, for example, a bill was introduced that would have required standardized testing annually for ESA students. Now, we're glad that didn't pass and didn't get any traction, but had it passed, it would not have impacted any student in the in the who, who filed their affidavit. Right, right. The so, true homeschoolers, right. True homeschoolers, correct. right. Yeah. Correct. And so, you know, the, the reality is, is money is really a big pull regardless. And right. so, you know, and, and we see that in Alaska, frankly, where the uh, the vast majority of, you know, folks that we colloquial call homeschoolers enroll their child in the public school for funding in exchange for regulation. Right. So, you know, the one of the risks that's that's a bit unspoken and it doesn't have to do necessarily with money or regulation is the community of those that independently homeschool shrinks when government funding is involved because the pull of money is very strong. Sure. And so I, I want both to be unregulated to the max extent possible. Um, but I think if you look at the Alaska example, you can see what will happen over time. The group that independently homeschools it shrinks and the group that is engaged in public funding grows. And you're talking about mass amounts of money. I mean, I mean we have seven kids at home, Michael. If I move to Arizona, you're talking about almost $50,000 annually. 
that, that that's a chunk of change right. at least for it is oh, yeah. for, Kevin's, for Kevin's home yeah um, so the, the, that's the type of that that's the type of issue that we're looking at we want to support school choice we want to support innovation and education we want to support all of these options that are coming to the table now all of that is very good the question you know the, as we know in many other areas it's the details that matter what does this look like at a, at a practical level, at a regular, at a regulation level, at an right. implementation level? That's where the rub starts to come. It has nothing to do with whether we support or are against school choice. Right. We support school choice. And um, as I said, it's really the homeschool exception that has allowed a lot of these options to flourish. So they are a bit, in a sense, riding on the coattails of the homeschool movement over the last 40 years, which is great. Right. What what can we do then to protect that movement while at the same time, you know, allowing for these uh, you know educational alternatives to thrive as well? It makes sense. It, it totally makes sense. Now we got about five minutes here. You uh, you said you had some, uh, you know, uh, some of the the more the better alternatives you were talking about, and I think you'd be the guy to talk about. It. I've mentioned some of them, you know, whether it's learning pods, micro schools, teacher share programs, things like that. So lay out to us some of the programs that you think true homeschoolers, again, the ones that aren't receiving public dollars. Mm-hmm. What what are some of the options that are out there? Which ones are good? Pros and cons. Give us a quick list here before we let you go. Yeah, I mean, the, the many of them, the homeschoolers have been doing for quite some time. I mean, many homeschoolers have been in co-ops for a long time. Those are those are being classified now as, as learning pods. And one of the challenge with the, with the explosion comes increased scrutiny as homeschooling grows to the, you know, in millions of children. The educational establishment wants to, you know, it has heightened scrutiny. So um, all of those options are are still good. And I don't know that I would favor one over the other, other than to say you may have a, you may have. Let's take a hybrid school, for example. You may have a family that didn't necessarily think they could homeschool because maybe they remote work two days a week and three days a week they go in. Well, maybe there's a hybrid program where they can they can use the hybrid program to homeschool the two days and enroll their child in the hybrid in the hybrid program for three days. Now, how it's set up in the state will classify whether that's a homeschool lane or whether that's some other lane. But what we what we are seeing is legal protection for voluntary association of parents. Um, there's there's two states that I know of that at least have learning pod protection acts. One is West Virginia, where I live right now, and the other is Georgia. And it basically says a you know, voluntary association of parents, you know, they're exempt from various coding requirements. You know, just because you want to host this doesn't mean you have to comply with all of these zoning and ordinances and regulations right. that the city wants to put on you. And I think that's all good. That that's a tearing down of regulation for the voluntary association of parents. And that that's very good. Some of these really, really look like private schools or tuition based. Um, they're outside teachers that come in. And you know, that's kind of what a micro school is. It's it's really it's kind of a private school on a on a on a small level, if you will. Some states have d- defined those, many have not. They're just used colloquially. West Virginia, again, we they have defined a micro school explicitly in the code and, and made that happen. Um, so these are the types of options that that I think are good. It, it's the funding mechanism in the school choice that really creates the rub. And if I can make a shameless plug here, Michael, you know, one of the things that my wife and I did before we moved away from Alaska is join the Alaska Private Home Educators Association, mm-hmm. independent homeschool organization committed to independent homeschooling families in Alaska. They host an annual convention. Um, but the dynamics of that, you know, changed when IDEA came into being. And so you see this play out a little bit between the, the tension between those who might say independent homeschoolers 
and publicly funded individuals. And I, I'm a big proponent of unity. I don't think anyone benefits when the homeschool community of whatever stripe starts to fight against one another. Right. But we need to acknowledge, you know, I think, you know, independent homeschoolers acknowledge that a family may feel like they have no option but to accept public funds. And someone in IDEA or Raven or whoever may understand and appreciate that there is a lane, there is an option for them that they can always go to if they don't want regulation. Right. And so it's, uh, I mean, I think that's important. You have to fight for the pond of the greatest amount of liberty, even if you don't want to use it right then. Right. No, and I would agree. Well, I appreciate all you guys are doing over there at the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. What was the name of the Alaska organization you just mentioned before you left? It's yeah, it's called AFIA, or the Alaska Private and Home Educators Association. It's just APHEA.org. APHEA.org. All right. Well, yep. thank you uh, so much, Kevin. Hold the line for just one second. Folks, we're out of time. Uh, Kevin uh, was our guest here for Hour 1. Hour 2, Nick Begich is going to be joining us, candidate for Congress. We're going to be talking with him. Uh, we'll return in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Um, well, Kevin, I, I really appreciate it. I mean, I think that's the, you know, the, the, the we're all in the same fight here, uh, yeah. whether we're, whether we're true, true homeschoolers, whether we're on some kind of interior distance thing, even people yeah. who are taking correspondence courses through the regular brick and mortar, uh, yeah. you know, uh, uh, districts in their thing, they're all trying to take a hand in this and we're all at a, you know, we're all at a different space and I'm glad yeah. that, uh, we can do it, and I think you. I think you bring up some valid points um, on as to why school choice can be a two-edged sword. Um, even though it is all our money, uh, when you got a bunch of bureaucrats who are in charge of it, and of course the bureaucrats are also part of the system that wants to protect what's going on already. Yeah. It, it could be a diff, it could be an iffy thing. I'll give you the last two minutes here for your final pitch uh, uh, on on all the stuff we just talked about. Yeah, well, you know, one thing to keep in mind is, you know, teachers, teachers unions are very good at the fiscal battles. And, you know, what this really turns into down the road is this allocation of state resource battle. And so um, you've got to keep in mind the, the playing field that you're in, which is teacher unions are very influential on the fiscal front. And uh, we can't forget that um, when, when we go after this. And um, so, yeah, I, I would just close with, you know, let's advocate for children. Let's advocate that kids get a good education. Um, the public education system in general has demonstrated that it's not doing that. And so, um, but let's also acknowledge the risks that come with government funding. I think they are real. We've seen them historically. And I really, we're just very zealous in advocating that homeschool remain protected right. and insulated from those risks. That's really what we're after. Well, I'm always reminded that the first taste is free. Right. I'm always yeah. reminded that the first taste is free and that sweet, sweet government lucre for the first couple, three, four years, maybe five years yeah. may be good. But down the road, it doesn't mean that they can't change the I change the deal. Pray I don't change it any further kind of thing, you know, where you're yeah. still getting the money. But now you got to jump through hoops and everything else. I think it's uh, I, I think that that is some uh, uh, some good advice and we need to be paying attention to it. Luckily, now all my kids are out of it. So I've, I've already done my my part. Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, all right. Well, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on board. Um, how thank do you, how do, 
an honor to be invited. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you being on board, and maybe we'll have you back on here in the future. What I'd really like to do, Dave, uh, Kevin, I keep saying David, uh, what i really like to do, Kevin, one day is to talk to you about maybe you could lay out for us all the non-government funded homeschooling. And we've talked about a few micro schools, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, but, and describe what each one are, because again, we're using different yeah. language, right? P- learning pods are, are actually something else, or, you know, yeah. maybe one day here in the, in the future, we could sit down and you could lay out the six or eight different choices and explain what each one actually does and sure. what the mechanics are. Uh, yeah. If, if the, you... the, the challenge, Michael, on that, you know, quickly is each state looks at those differently and a lot yeah. of them are not really defined state. They're used colloquially. Right. I ask a micro school advocate, what's a micro school? And if you ask 10 of them, you'll probably get well, know, 10 different. Answers. And I think so, that's part of the problem for the public is that you've heard these things yeah. either be used interchangeably or, you know, and so at least from a, from a, if at least if we had a breakdown from a single perspective, we might. Yeah we might at least have a better understanding about what the options are. So that's- yeah, I, I'd be happy to, I, I can, I can collate the data from across the nation and just say, Hey, here's what, here's how states have looked at it. Here's how it's being used. Yeah. So the public hears that they've got at least some framework in their mind of how to process that data. Well, maybe if you have time in a few weeks, we'll, uh, I'll reach back out to you and we can get together again. Yeah, I'd be happy to appreciate it, Michael. All right. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate you coming on board. Thanks for joining us. That's Kevin Bowden from the uh, homeschool legal defense association i see that uh i see that uh nick baggage the third is uh in the uh in the green room eating my donuts and drinking my coffee hello my friend how are you i'm great how you doing you know not uh, not too bad not too bad doing my thing um let me see if i can get your noise canceling on here because i'm getting a little bit of feedback from myself okay all right um let me turn that and turn that okay i'm clicking stuff away here all right uh if you uh if you're all ready i'm all ready we're gonna jump into this here in just a minute uh okay can, can you still hear me nick i can hear you yeah okay all right good all right i just wanted to make sure that we're all good here okay all right we're gonna jump into this with nick baggage i'm gonna put him back in the green room for the moment and we're going to continue um Gail says, high school was a waste of my time. I quit at 16, graduated from Hair Academy at 17. By 19, I had full clientele, running my own booth, paying my own taxes. I didn't re- I don't regret my choice to move on, make school interesting again. I mean, yeah, Gail, for some, especially if you have a vision of where you're going, you don't necessarily even need a high school diploma quite. I mean, shh, don't, don't tell anybody I said that. But, yeah, it doesn't even, I mean, it's crazy. Um, how do homeschool students do scholastically compared to traditional, uh, traditional students at testing time? They traditionally do much better. Yeah, it was much better. Um, uh, more money doesn't solve problems, says, uh, Esther Alita, And I would agree with that. Um, uh, Okay. All right. Good morning, Nick. That was the last thing. All right. We're ready to go. Um, I think I got everything. Homeschool. This is Jess. Homeschool purists piss everyone off who gets allotments. Well, yeah. I mean, look, they're all going to be that way. Like libertarians are the worst on that. You're not as libertarian as I am kind of thing. And yeah, I'm sure that there's homeschool purists out there who are prideful about the fact that they take no dollars from the state. Okay, great. Good for you. 
Some of us chose a little bit differently. Is it still homeschooling? In my mind, yes, because they're in my home. We're designing the curriculum. We're doing all that. Did the state pay for it? Yes. Are they enrolled in a district school? Yes. But we're in charge of that. I mean, we really were. So I don't get hung up on that little tiny stuff. I don't get hung up on that. All right, here we go. We're getting ready to jump back into it. Nick Baggage, our guest, The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. We return with more right after this. Put that thing back in its holster. We haven't gone anywhere. I don't understand. Check out the MichaelDukesShow.com for information on how to get access to the podcast. Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet, if you can fathom it, right here at MichaelDukeShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this favorite radio station and or FM translator. Good morning, hour two of the big radio show, fastest two hours in radio. We just uh, finished up with Kevin Bowden from the uh, from the Homeschooling Defense uh, Legal Defense Association. Uh, great piece. If you missed it, you can go back and listen to it on the podcast, which is available wherever you find great podcasts, including Google iTunes and Spotify, uh, and, or you can go back and watch it on the replay on Facebook. That's how it is. But we're now into hour two, new, new, new bat time, new bat channel. Here we go. We're jumping into it today uh, with our guest, Nick Baggage, candidate for U.S. Congress. You know him. You love him. He joins us right now to discuss uh, a little bit of everything. Let's get uh, let's get to it. Good morning, sir. How are how are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. How you doing, Michael? You know, no complaints, my friend. Nobody listens anyway, so what does it matter? It's just, you know, it is what it is. Um so Nick, uh, it's been a been a hot minute since we uh since we got a chance to talk with you. Uh why don't you give us an update on uh, first and foremost what you've been doing here over the last uh well, I guess before Christmas. We haven't talked to you since probably October or November, so give us a give us a rundown here. It's been a little while. We did. We went through the holidays. We survived uh, the the cold apocalypse. Uh, gotten a lot of snow down here in Anchorage for us, anyway. And um, I guess we're thawing out today. We finally jumped above zero. So yeah. you know, we we've just continued to travel the state. It's, it's what it's what I say every time I'm on your show. You know, we, we're all over the place. We, we were just up in Fairbanks a couple of weeks ago, at an event in Anchorage. We'll we'll be having an event uh, in Palmer this week. And I'll be down in Ketchikan and back up in Fairbanks here in uh, in about a week and a half. So we continue to travel the state. Uh, my priority has been and will remain meeting Alaskans where they're at. 
uh, hearing uh, from them what the issues are and what the solutions they believe uh, will best address those issues. So uh, the campaign's in full swing. Things are going well. Uh, we're excited about the momentum that's been building. And I think you know every single day that we see um, more out of the current Biden administration and his allies in Congress, the more that I hear from voters saying, look, we've got to make a change. And, uh, and people are, are turning their attention to the, the presidential election year this year. And um, we're getting a lot more interest in this race um, as, as people sort of pay more attention to what's happening at the national level. Well, and of course, we all know that presidential election years make for much better turnouts uh, and a lot more people paying attention. It's the big dog race, you know, that everybody's watching. Uh, and so everybody else gets to ride along on the coattail, so to speak, uh, on this. Uh, and of course, we here in Alaska still focusing and still having to deal with the whole jungle primary rank choice voting thing. Uh, what are your thoughts uh, on that before we dive into other things, you know, as to how that's going to impact us this year? Well, you know, personally, I've never been a, a fan of ranked choice voting. And and let me explain a, a couple of reasons why. One, uh, for folks who decide, look, they just want to put one person down, which is your right under under our ranked choice voting system. Uh, you know, they can be disenfranchised They're They don't have a subsequent say in what happens. And, uh, you know, that's been challenged in the courts. It hasn't it hasn't uh, been successfully challenged. But I continue to believe that, you know, that that component of ranked choice voting is unconstitutional. But um, look, there's going to be a lot of folks that show up and vote uh, because of that issue. Uh, I fully expect that that will be on the ballot in November. And uh, there's a lot of folks, if you look at the polling data, in fact, uh, more than 54% of Alaskans in the most recent data that I saw want to repeal uh, the ranked choice voting system and return to our traditional system of voting. So I do think that it's going to be uh, top of mind for folks. It's going to drive turnout. And, um, you know, hopefully we'll be able to see a return to our traditional method of voting in Alaska. Uh, Nick, uh, watching a lot of things that are going on, uh, and, and this show does not primarily focus on national issues. We, for the most part, eschew a national issues because, well, I mean, I, I kind of feel like what difference does it make, right? To quote the famous personality, what difference does it make? We, I mean, we have very little effect in individually on what's happening at the national level. Although that's what the mainstream media, they want us to focus on all these things, right? The breads and circuses of the modern era is everything that's going on in Washington, D.C., of which we have zero impact on. Um, but, you know, as I mean, even I have been caught uh, and taken a look at some of the things that are going on specifically around the budgeting and the government spend and things like that. Now, you and I have talked a lot about uh, arithmetic and math and how it's important and how it seems like we've got a whole generation of Congress critters that have forgotten the very basic premise of arithmetic, you know, that one plus one equals two but one minus one equals zero, not two, which seems to be a real problem for many of the folks in Congress. So let's talk uh, for a minute here about the overall budget and the size of the budget and the deficit that we've talked about that's, that's growing as we speak. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is something it's the numbers are so large, they can be hard to sort of wrap one's mind around, because when you start talking about 
billions, hundreds of billions, or even trillions of dollars. I mean, these are just, these are astronomical figures. But you really got to break it down. Right now, the United States debt, how much money the United States owes to foreign governments and individuals and corporations and pension funds and other investors in our debt, uh, that's $34 trillion. Big number. But for every U.S. taxpayer, for every person who pays taxes, that's almost $250,000 in debt. $250,000 in debt for every U.S. taxpayer. There's a lot of, of energy um, in the media and uh, time spent talking about how much debt the average American has for student loans or for car loans or for, for home loans. Not a lot of attention and time spent talking about the $250,000 that every U.S. taxpayer is burdened with. Um, and, and you might say, well, you know, I don't, I don't make payments on that. You do. You make payments on that in the form of taxes, and you make payments on that in the form of inflation. And uh, there's a direct connection between the amount of government spending that's going on down in D.C., and the inflation that we all bear when we go to the grocery store, when we go to the gas station, uh, those are real costs. And they're, they're what they call a hidden tax. It's not something that, that the US government passes an overt tax, but we all end up paying for it in the end. Um, right now, the government uh, just crossed a, a threshold for the first time in history. We're paying over a trillion dollars a year in interest payments, just interest payments. That represents 40% of all personal income taxes, which means if you're paying taxes, 40% of all of that money is going straight to interest right now, and it's only getting worse. And so you see this, this issue, and it gets talked about every Congress, and you know, one side, frankly, my side of the aisle, the Republican side of the aisle talks a big game on this, but we end up spending just as much as the Democrats do. And what, what you've gotta have is you've gotta have enough people from any side of any aisle that are willing to go down to DC and be serious about cutting the budget and reducing the deficit so that we can get this back under control. And I, and I think one of the, I think one of the things that we need to look at is the actual growth of that. You were just talking about the, the debt payment um, last year, 2023, the debt payment was just over $900 billion, so just under a trillion dollars. And the OMB is already projecting that this year's payment will be $1.18 trillion. That That is a 35% increase in debt service payments in a single year. I mean, I don't know how, if, you know, I mean, maybe maybe you folks, some of you folks are not numbers people, but when your debt service goes up 30% in a single year and, you know, you're planning on living another 10 or 15 years or 20 years or 50 years, you may want to do some checkups there. But these folks just seem to completely ignore the fact that this this could have potentially disastrous consequences. I mean, they keep kicking this can down the road on raising the debt ceiling and having a balanced budget or anything else, Nick. I mean... And as one guy with the voice out there, how 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 would you how would you address this? How would you fix this? Well, you're you're 100 right. There's 435 members of the United States House. Alaska gets one voice in that body, and you are you're you're just one voice. Um, but you're not going to be able to make these changes if you don't put enough 
of these people in office, not just from Alaska, but across the country. And uh, so it's not something that one person is going to be able to go down there, make promises here, and then be able to change the entire trajectory of the nation uh, by themselves. It's going to take a body of people that are committed to reducing this, this budget deficit uh, to manageable levels, uh, talking seriously about how we, how we can address the long-term fiscal stability of the country. Um, so I don't want to stand here and say that I've got all the answers or that I'm going to be able to make the changes myself, but I'm somebody who believes that we've got to cut the budget in a serious way. I'm someone who believes that it is unsustainable. I mean, if you ask people behind closed doors on the left and the right, is this sustainable? They'll all to a person tell you, no, it's not. But the cameras turn on and people say, well, we've got these important programs and, and suddenly no one wants to cut anything. What's interesting, I, I found this interesting since my uh, entry into the political space. I, I see politicians on a regular basis, particularly in Alaska, coming back and saying, look at, all, look at all the things I got for you. Look at the money that I got from Washington for you. What they failed to say is that that is your money. They didn't go pick someone else's pocket. That's your pocket that they picked. And the reality is they're spending money in ways that you would probably never spend your own money. And they act like this is some sort of uh, third party cash that just exists out there in the ether. But it's your money. It's being spent in ways we should it shouldn't be spent. And uh, this is not something to be celebrated. Well, this it is, is something. That, yeah. In the case of Alaska, it's not just our money. It's our money and some other people's money because we receive more in tax dollars than we actually give to the federal government. So we're actually thank you, you folks in Poughkeepsie. Thank you for spending your tax dollars in Alaska. But yeah, I mean, the fact that they come back and brag about how much filthy lucre they brought back from the government treasury, uh, I mean, that kind of stuff's got to stop. I mean, this is the thing. My wife and I were talking yesterday, Nick, and we were just sitting there on the couch. We were talking about, you know, the news media and a lot of the, the polarization and the echo chambers that social media have become and everything else. And, you know, we just looked at it and said, you know, people are just they've gotten that good at ignoring basic reality. And in this case, we're talking about the mathematics of budgets and money in, money out. They've gotten so good at at convincing themselves that nothing bad will ever happen to them, that when something does bad, when something happens, it, it it's going to be catastrophic, man. It's just going to be catastrophic. It, it, it really is. I mean, part of the challenge is that when you, when you, uh, when, when the consequence of an action is time delayed, the longer the longer that delay occurs, the less likely someone is to make the connection between the action they took and the res- the consequence that they received. And we've been we've been engaged in this spending uh, spree for so long with apparently without consequence that people have believed well, you know the 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 water will never boil, we'll never have a problem, things won't won't go won't go south for us. Too big that's to fail. That's simply not that's simply not true, right? Right. Um, we're too big to you fail. Know, you look at, um, go ahead. We're too big to fail. Right. That's what people believe. But when you look at when you look at other governments throughout history, when you look at uh, what's happened in Argentina, when you look at what's happened in Venezuela, when you look at what's happened in World War One Germany, right? There are many examples. When you look at the reserve currency status of Britain and Portugal and France and Spain, they're not the reserve currency today. 
And the reason they're not the reserve currency is because they abused, as most governments do throughout history, the privilege of being the reserve currency by continuing to print and create inflation and become an unstable source of, of, uh, of store of value over time. And the United States government is falling into the same trap. And, uh, and, and if we don't get this under control, eventually the world will move on. They'll find another currency to, to, to store value over time. There'll be, they'll, they'll, there'll be uh, a resulting inflation, the likes of which we haven't seen uh, since the 70s. And, uh, and, and the American taxpayer and the American consumer will pay for it. Yeah. Nick Begich is our guest candidate for U.S. House. Um, with your one voice, Nick. Will you vote like Mike Lee or will you vote like Thomas Massey or will you vote like Lisa Murkowski? That's- I'll tell you what, Mike Lee. And I love Thomas Massey, too, by the way, because he is a constitutionalist. Uh, he's got a libertarian perspective and he understands the clear role of government. Um, look, we need more people like Thomas Massey and Mike Lee in the Senate and the House. I mean, th- these are these are patriots, but they're constitutionalists. Uh, more importantly, they understand uh, the genius of the founding fathers and the documents that they constructed to govern our our uh, our government. And uh, we need people who see things from an originalist perspective and a purist perspective and understand the rule of law. Uh, and folks who don't bend the law or ignore the law, as, for example, Joe Biden has been doing with immigration. Uh, you know, we we have people, uh, we have good people in the House and the Senate. We need to find more of those and elect more of those uh, in order to achieve the things that we're talking about this morning. So you're going to be a Mike Lee, Thomas Massey voter, not a Lisa Murkowski oh, yeah. voter. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure there was a definitive yes in yes. there. Yeehaw, yeehaw <laughs> in there. All right. Uh, Nick Begich is our guest. We're going to continue the Michael Luke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. Okay, Nick Nick Baggage is our guest here this morning. Brian says, face it, we are junkies. Uh, yeah. I mean, he's, right. he's not, he's not he's wrong. Right. He is not wrong. We are junkies when it comes to that government spend, baby. We Anything we can spend it on and then some. And don't you worry. We guarantee you we'll get everything fixed, but we won't touch Social Security or Medicaid. Make, we'll make sure you, you know about that. We won't touch those things, even though they're the two largest primary source. I mean, we won't touch that. I mean, it's it's it literally is just like the people who get the promise of we're sure you'll be cured. Meanwhile, you're still slurping down the liquor and sucking down the cigarettes and we're sure you'll be cured of that cancer and that liver disease. Don't worry about it. It'll all be fine. They're they're just lying to you. I mean, they're just lying. These these folks, they 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 say those things. Right. But then they spend in ways that virtually assure that those programs will be impacted, assure it. And that's what's, that's what's so disingenuous. And I, I, look, some of these folks, and you, you kind of alluded to this early on in the program, um, to be fair, they don't have the, 
the mathematical prowess to be able to say whether they're telling the truth or not. They don't know, right? You'd be surprised some of the folks uh, who end up in Congress. There's some smart folks, and then there's some other folks that they end up there because they're the reddest of the red in a red district or the bluest of the blue in a blue district. They win a primary. They go on to a general that they're guaranteed to win because of the composition of their house district, and that's it. And so it, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're the or the smartest or they're the best or they represent the people the most. It just means that they were able to run to the left, the right harder than somebody else. And now they're in Congress. And uh, you know, the problem is once somebody is in Congress, that what I call the influence layer of Congress, right? This, this influence layer of lobbyists and special interests and everything else, they've, they've gotten pretty smart over the years in terms of how they continue to remain in power and how their interests continue to propagate over time. Right. And if there's a business or there's a special interest of some kind, NGO, et cetera, that requires government spending in order to exist, they're going to have super PACs. They're going to have PACs. They're going to have all of the mechanisms that exist today, ensuring that they continue to exist in the future. And how do they do that? They make sure that people like I just described, regardless of whether they're qualified or not, as long as they're voting the right way, they're getting the check every cycle. And it just encourages this continuation of incompetence in the House and the Senate. Right. Well, I remember watching that Thomas Massey video. It was a, a series of videos called Drain the Swamp. This was way back. This is five, six years ago. And he talks about a day in the life cycle of a freaking congressman, especially when you're brand new and figuring it out that uh, – they basically, they just want you to be a money machine for the party and you'll do what you're told. Otherwise, you'll be put in the closet in the corner. And if you don't go raise funds and if you don't go do that for the national machine, then you're not. And I'm just like, we're there to do the business of government. And you guys are all about just precipitating and continuing your power. I mean, that's that's literally what the whole thing is about. It. I can't tell you how right you are. You are 100 percent correct. That is exactly what is going on goes on on both sides. Uh, if you walk in, and I've seen the the, the, the video that you're describing, uh, but I've experienced the video that you're describing as well. I mean, I've actually, I've been in the building, I've seen the row of sort of phone booth offices uh, where members of the house are literally making calls, raising money for the, for the NRCC. And you've got a dues number, you've got to hit this number. If you don't hit this number, you know, you're not going to get the committee assignments that you want. You're not going to get the chairmanships that you want. You're not going to be able to represent your district in the way that you want, that you need to. And I think what a lot of members figure out at some point or another is that this is a lot of work. You're already flying back and forth to your district. You're on the floor voting. You're doing fundraisers for your next election because in the House, it's only, it's only two years that you're there. And uh, folks recognize that. And then they start taking these checks that I just described. They take right. that check from the influence layer. And allows them to, to take a little pressure off, but it creates the problems that we were just talking about. Nick Baggage, our guest. Like, share, subscribe. Only 20 of you have liked this show. There's 60 of you here. What's up with that? Seriously. I mean, give me the finger or something in there. Let me know you hate it or you love it or whatever. Let's get it done. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. The Michael Duke Show. Seriously humorous with a pinch of intellect. <laughs> pinch of intellect. Sorry. That is humorous. Here's Michael Dukes. Well, I guess it depends on 
how big your fingers are. It's a pinch of intellect. Um, all right, let's uh, continue on here. Uh, Nick Begich is our guest. Uh, he's a candidate for U.S. House. We were just talking about um, uh, we were just talking about the, the the absolute insanity of people who essentially just ignore the problem, like it's not going la 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 la. It's like they get their fingers in there and they can't hear you as to what's going on. We got some big issues, of course, going on right now uh, down there. The big border issue, right? Everybody's worried about the border, uh, and there's a big bipartisan deal that's going through, and 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 the president has already told Texas that you can't uh, do all the things that Texas was already doing. Although, I don't know if you saw the numbers that they were going from something like 4,000 crossings a day to 200 after they did all that, and they saw a 75% increase. Now they're taking videos. A surfer the other day in California caught video of a boat grounding itself in San Diego right in front of him and a bunch of migrants jumping off of it and leaving this $15,000 boat that they apparently had stolen in Mexico just drifting in the surf as they ran up there. And this guy was not political or anything. This surfer was just like, he's like, what's going on? And they said the increases of uh, border crossings or insertions from the sea has gone up 75% in California because Texas has gone down 75%. Uh, so you know, your thoughts on this border deal? I'm sorry. Walls work. We, we, I, you know, we, we, if walls didn't work, you wouldn't see Nancy Pelosi put a wall around her house. Right. Obama put a wall around his house, right? Walls work. There's a reason we have walls and barriers. And uh, what Texas is doing, I'm fully supportive of. I've, I've said publicly, I stand with Texas on this. Uh, they're asserting their state's rights. Uh, and look, I, I believe that the Biden administration, they're not just looking the other way. This is, this is a desire that they have to bring in millions of illegal migrants, aliens to our nation for the purposes of giving them a pathway to citizenship and turning them into voters. There's no other explanation for, for what they're doing. What they're doing is lawlessness. And, uh, you know, I think what the governor of Texas is doing and what and what other governors around the country are doing in supporting him is uh, is asserting the rights of not just Texans, but Americans generally. We have to secure our borders. If you don't have a, a strong border, you don't have a country. And, um, and and I think what what we're seeing right now is is impeachable. I think impeaching Mayorkas is just the beginning of what needs to happen. In, in order to hold these people accountable who are clearly uh, willfully breaking the laws of our nation by encouraging this uh, massive wave of illegal immigration. So what's this? I mean, so what's your solution to this? I mean, at, at this point, because I think, look, I think uh, under Trump, we we had a solution, right? We had the remain in Mexico policy. Uh, quite frankly, that's consistent with international policy as it relates to asylum claims. This is what uh, what they did in Europe, finally, to stem the tide of some of that illegal migration that was occurring. What you saw as a, as a case study in, in Hungary, and I believe the Czech Republic, but I know Hungary for sure, Viktor Orban, who's the president of Hungary, set up a, a razor wire barrier and illegal immigration into Hungary dropped 99% virtually overnight as a result. Uh, that works and that will work in places like Texas. 
as long as you have the federal government honoring what the state is doing, right? The state has put up the barriers in the Rio Grande, they get taken down. The state has put up the uh, concerta wire on the border and the feds come in and they cut it down, right? The, the feds are the reason why we're not seeing more effectiveness in this border control, but we know that it works. And so I think that's what you've got to do. You've got to make sure that you have uh, proper barriers set up, uh, that you're enforcing the laws, that you're deporting people. People that are in our nation uh, illegally need to be deported. They need to be sent home. And I, folks have said in the past, well, that's not really possible. It's possible. If they got here, they can leave. And we need to make sure that those folks uh, are, are going back to their point of origin. I, you know, this is the libertarian viewpoint on this has been difficult over the years because there's a lot of libertarians who are basically, you know, oh, open borders, everybody should, you know, kumbaya, people should be able to free, move to back and forth. The problem is, is that's a very utopian type of ideal because there are bad actors out there who have bad intentions for your free market state. They would rather you not have a free market. They would rather you not have freedoms. They would rather you live under their rule, whatever it is. Uh, and so you have to be able to secure the borders. And that's an important component of any national sovereignty issue is you have to be able to secure the borders. You can have all the freedom you want inside, but you can't just let anybody come in without some kind of screening process. I mean, it's it's got to happen. Yeah, you, you have to. You, you're absolutely right. You don't know who these people are coming over. And we have, look, folks come into our country legally every day. Thousands, hundreds of thousands a month come into our country. They're, they're on vacation. They're coming for business purposes. They're visiting a relative. It's not that people can't come into the United States, right? I've traveled to over 30 countries and I can promise you this, I would never imagine trying to sneak into another country. Do you, do you realize what the consequences could be if you just wander into another nation, you end up in someone's jail? People are not afraid of that in the United States. They come to the United States knowing full well, oh, you're going to get your EBT card. You're going to get your free cell phone. You're going to be bused to the location of your choice. You're going to end up with free housing, free clothes, free food. We're encouraging this, right? And, and I, let me just say, all these things are being offered to folks who enter our nation illegally, break our laws and enter our nation illegally. What about Americans? What about prioritizing Americans? You're spending, we just talked about the national debt, and we're just continuing to add to, to this national debt in ways that support people who are breaking the law. How does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. Right. Uh, this this so-called compromise bipartisan bill that's coming out of the Senate right now, thankfully it's dead in the House. It needs to stay dead. Uh, one of the things that it proposes is $2.3 billion in resettlement funds for illegal migrants in our nation, right? If that's a tacit acknowledgement that they're gonna do nothing to solve the problem. They're not gonna deport these people. In fact, they're gonna find ways to make them uh, embedded into our population. And one of the things that I find most disturbing about this, and I was watching some uh, coverage uh, uh, on Friday uh, from some of the mainstream media and then from some of the people who were down on the various border points, uh, was the fact that most of the videos that I was watching, and I saw this very clearly, these were not like families desperate to get across with children. As these were all military age males making their way. I mean, there was in the one in the one video I watched. I counted 
for it was like 45, 50. It was a group of people counting for. And of all the people, I did not see one child. I did not see one female uh, in this one. It was all military, no elderly, no young. It was all, you know, 18 to 30 or appeared to be 30 year old males. Now, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I start to get a little worried when the only people that there I'm seeing on all the various videos were military aged males. That that worries me. Well, it is concerning. Where are these people going? Where where are they all going? Right? They're right. they're going somewhere. And 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 we find out, you know, it's very quiet, but they're being they're being put on planes and buses and sent all over the United States. Lord knows where. And when they get there, how do you know where they went after that? You have no way of keeping track of these folks. Most folks who come into the country, they're given a court date, sometimes as, as many as three, four, five years in the future. 90% of them never show up. In fact, more than 90% never show up for their court date. You don't know where these people go. You don't know what they're doing, who they're connecting with, what their associations are, what their background is. And you're absolutely right. I've seen the videos as well, right? People are coming across the border. You don't see generally women, families, Coming across the border, no, you see military-aged men, and it's not what you may uh, ha have thought of 10 years ago or even five years ago. These folks are coming from Pakistan. They're coming from Afghanistan. They're coming from China, right? Places that you wouldn't normally th think of as, as uh, origin points for people crossing the United States' most southern border. But that's where they're originating from. And you can right. see the videos and you can see them lined up for as far as the eye can see with with migrants hoofing it across the border. And it's interesting, too. I mean, they're they're bringing uh, they're bringing a, a lot of crime with them as well. Right. We have a massive fentanyl crisis in our in our country right now. These people are acting in many cases, not all, but many cases are acting as drug mules. They're they're absolutely involved in human trafficking. We know that. There's an exorbitant uh, price oftentimes for, for these folks uh, getting over here, and they don't have the money for that in most cases. And so in, in many cases, these people are coming over and they have to work those, those debts off, doing who knows what for who knows who. And uh, you know that's just encouraging continued crime in our nation by allowing this to continue. It's a frustrating thing. And, and I, you know, what what is your I got three minutes here. What is your solution? How would you I mean, if we made you king for the day, emperor for the day, whatever, what is your solution to fixing this border crisis here rather than this kind of cobbled together compromise with monies paying to take? I mean, what is your solution? It's very it's very simple. You, you build the wall. You deport those who are in our nation illegally. You reform our asylum laws so that it's more difficult to, to apply for asylum. You've got to have a really, truly valid reason. You can't be a climate refugee or an economic refugee. These are not valid asylum claims uh, to come into the United States. Uh, and you stop, you stop paying for people when they get here, right? I mean, that is, that is a fundamental precept of immigration policy outside the United States. If you're not able to pay for yourself when you're in a nation, you can't you can't come in and you can't stay. And so giving people free housing, free, free EBT cards, free cell phones, you know, free transportation, all these things that encourages people to come in. So that has to stop. So, if, you know, if I if I could if I could wave a wand, those are the things that I do. And I guarantee you that that problem would be solved almost overnight. 
I couldn't agree more. Nick Baggage is our guest candidate for U.S. Congress. We're going to continue here in just a moment. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back with more. Don't forget, you can always check us out uh, during the breaks on Facebook. If you want to come out and join us on our Facebook, we're live with Nick uh, in the commercial breaks. We chat with him uh, behind the scenes. You're welcome to do that. Facebook.com slash Michael Duke Show slash live. Uh, and other than that, we'll be back in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Your mental suppository. The Michael Duke Show. I'm always here to get a laugh. That's all I'm here for is just to get a laugh. <laughs> Those outtakes make me laugh every time I come on. Yeah, it's I'm hilarious. Only, I'm only here to make it make everybody laugh. Um, I'm just going back through some of the comments here. Uh, seriously, the country has been invaded unprecedented times. I mean, that's the problem is that when you get a bunch of you get a bunch of immigrants that come across, they're all military age males. Then you end up busing them or flying them all over the country. And all I can think of is. Troop movement. I mean, are you I can't I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but if you're taking groups of, of migrants and plonking them down all over the country and they turned out that they are bad actors, that's. I mean, you've just seeded your own ground with poisonous sea. I mean, what what are you doing? Oh, it's 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 so wrong. It's so it, it it so violates your sense of logic that there's no other conclusion except it's by design. I think that's the hard, that's the hard part for a lot of us is nobody wants to believe that there's a group out there that would actually want to destroy the United States, right? We, we want what we want to believe is that, okay, well, they, this is the other side of the aisle sees things differently than we see things. And therefore, you know, maybe it's just a difference of perspective. No, it's not a difference of perspective. There is no explanation for what is being done because what is being done is systemic. It's systemic. Right. You, you send these people all over the United States and you, you have no way of, of, of finding them again. There's no way of collecting these people up and saying, okay, well, who are you and where are you and what are you doing here and how, how are you surviving here? And, you know, we need to process your claim. No. And so uh, you're, you're 100% right. And at the same time, as a part of this, and I, I call it a so-called bipartisan bill, because anytime some, you, can, you can manage to find one Democrat or one Republican to put, put on the other side of the aisle's bill, they call it bipartisan as though everyone's supportive of this. That's not true, okay? Um, but another component of this bill, $60 billion more for Ukraine. $60 billion for Ukraine. And what exactly is that being spent for? Well, ostensibly, presumably, it's being spent for their border security. <laughs> that, that wall was supposed to cost about $10 billion, okay? Double it, call it $20 billion. And we want to spend $60 billion? 60 billion more yeah. for Ukraine. By the way, we have we haven't quite spent 60 billion yet. So this is more than doubling how much has already been spent by US taxpayers in Ukraine. Did you know that worldwide right now the US has the has the third largest fiscal deficit as a percentage of GDP. You know who number 1 is? Ukraine. <laughs> Ukraine's asking us to fill their fiscal gap. Right. I mean, we're, we're right there next to them. 
This is this is insanity. It is insanity. Yeah. And the idea that we're going to continue to prop to prop that war up, which, by the way, is on Europe's doorstep. I'm not sure why we have to be the ones to pay for it. Right. Right. I but, would think Poland would be a lot more interested in doing a few things right there. You know, uh, you know, this whole thing is is uh, is nutty. And, and I think you're right. If we took away the free ride. For anybody that came through the border, if we stop giving money to these, you know, for, for foreign debt and for foreign assistance and all this kind of stuff, we could fix a lot of this stuff. Uh, Charlie says uh, the U.S. government provides over $100 million per year to NGOs to help illegals come into this country. Yes, I know. It's like we're causing, wait, we're causing our own problems? Shocking, I know. But, I mean, you know, that that's that's where we are today and it, it's true and that's just that's just the overt portion of, of of budgetary spending there are additional ways in which these ngos are being supported for example uh i've heard i've heard from folks recently that say look we're we send dues into the united nations the, the united states spent I, I believe we're more than half of the dues paid into the united nations paid for by the united states and Many NGOs receive funding from the United Nations to do the exact same thing, but it's not covered in that $100 million that was just mentioned. So there's a lot of other ways the United States government's funds are being used, redirected toward things such as such as these um, that ultimately hurt us. And again, this is not just a this is not just a Democrat problem. This is a Republican problem too. I mean, like I said, you know, you got the the left wing and the right wing. They're all part of the same bird, right? It just doesn't matter at this point. Your Republican colleagues in Congress have gone in there and say, "Don't worry, we'll protect something and we'll do it." And we, but they spend just as much. Uh, you know, George W. Bush. He he, you know, built up the police and the security state. Uh, you know, Donald Trump increased the deficit by ungodly amount. I mean, this is, this is not, I'm telling you folks, this is not a Republican and Democrat thing. This is a bigger, badder, better, more invasive government versus the minimalist government that you can get by on. That's what this is about. Would you agree with that, Nick? I, I, I completely agree. Well, and, and I said as much earlier in 20 in, seconds in, in the show, but I think, uh, you, between Republicans and Democrats, you just have different deficit priorities. Yeah. Well, One true. says, I don't want to spend the money here. I want to spend it on these things. Exactly. But nobody is serious about actually cutting the government back to a reasonable size. Well, that's 100% right there. I think we should repeat that when we return to the radio. Here we go. The Michael Duke Show. Common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Let's do this thing. Okay, we're continuing now. One final segment this morning. Nick Begich is our guest, candidate for U.S. Senate, uh, or U.S. House, rather. When we were just coming back to the break, uh, I just, I made a comment, and I think I, we need to repeat it because, you know, uh, you know, Nick, the problem is, is that it's the left wing, the right wing, they're both part of the same bird or the same coin or whatever analogy you want to use. I mean, here in Alaska, we've got a similar problem, and basically what I've said is you don't have liberals and conservatives. You don't have Democrats and, and Republicans. What you have is you have people who are more 
pro, bigger, badder, more invasive government on the one hand and people who want the minimum amount of government required to get the job done on the other. And that's really what you have, because, I mean, Republicans at this point are just as, uh, you know, they've colluded. They, they're just as uh, culpable as anybody else for the where we're at in the nation. Right. It's it's true. I mean, it, it's undeniable. Anyone who wants to deny that is not looking at history and the facts. The, the, the reality is that the left has their spending priorities. The right has their spending priorities. But neither one historically has actually been serious about getting getting the, the budget balanced and uh, the debt paid down or at, at a minimum, you know, reducing that deficit to something that can be managed. And that it's that's the reality. And as we mentioned in, in a in previous segment uh, on the show this morning, you know, there's an influence layer in Congress. There's an influence layer. And that influence layer, when you talk about the left wing and the right wing of the bird, the bird is constructed by that influence layer, right? If it's not, if it's not the NGOs we were talking about during the break, then it's, uh, it's Lockheed Martin and Raytheon, right? And that, those groups, if you look at, there's a group out there, it's called the Main Street Partnership. And they don't care if you're a Republican or you're a Democrat, as long as you're there when when they need you, <laughs> right? They'll write you those checks. And it's, it's comprised of some of the biggest contractors, defense contractors, you know, sure. there's, there's pharma entities, healthcare, all these things. And I mean, you think about this, I saw uh, a tweet the other day. Um, actually, this one came from RFK Jr. Give credit where credit's due. Uh, he said, look, he was mentioning a drug. I don't recall the, the name of the drug, but he was talking about this drug that, that in the United States is $6,700. Uh, per dose, I believe. And uh, you can get the same dose in France for less than a thousand. And and what's why are we permitting that, right? Why are we allowing that? Because the US consumer is subsidizing the rest of the world's healthcare, right? And the reason that that's allowed, the reason that that's permitted is because you've got that influence layer having so much influence across the aisle. Democrats and Republicans. And uh, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Michael, you were talking about how, uh, you know, we're, there's so much distraction in the media, right? Bread they, and they circuses, want to right? capture our, our attention in, in this space or that space. But do you know who the number one advertiser on mainstream media is? It's Big Pharma. Big Pharma. Yep. Yeah. That's protection money. Yeah. <laughs> They're not talking about Big Pharma. They're not talking about that 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 dis, disparate uh, a cost in a, in a particular drug on the nightly news because that might frustrate the advertisers. Right. We, would, we wouldn't want to do that. We wouldn't want to hurt their feelings, <laughs> right? You know, and, and that's right. I mean, we've got there's there's huge issues here. I mean, I am for a strong military, but at the same time, I am concerned about the military. Uh, the the industry, the industrial complex, as you know, as Eisenhower talked about. Uh, but I mean, let's face it: there's an industrial complex for almost anything these days. Education industrial complex, the, the pharmaceuticals, the the military, all these other things where they're out there, and it's the protectionism of making sure that their spend is taken care of. And who's paying for it? All the American people at every turn, the American people, and because many of them are not engaged in the process, not paying attention to what's going on. They just roll happily along. But eventually, the the music's going to stop, and there's not going to be enough chairs for everybody. And all the industry complex people are going to get their chairs, and we're going to be the ones that are kicked out. I mean, and that's that's a problem. That's the truth. I mean, that, that is that's the absolute 
truth what, what you just said there. It, the, the, the reality is in this country, it's the little it's the little guy who's getting screwed. And you know, people don't have time to absorb all this, right? Because A, it's very complex, but B, I mean, you're right now, I meet people on a regular basis every week that are telling me, look, I, I had one job, now I gotta take an additional part-time job. Or maybe I lost my job, now I'm working two or three part-time jobs. I was in in, in Fairbanks just a couple weeks ago. We're at, we're at an event. And there was a, a woman who stood up and she was irate. She was furious. She was furious because inflation, she's, a re, she's retired, and inflation had gotten so bad that she was dipping into her savings in order just to pay for fuel and energy, food, you know, her housing. She couldn't make it work anymore. And she didn't know how she was going to continue to make it work in the future. And she was furious and she was upset and she doesn't know what to do. And there's more and more people, not just across America, but in our state that are facing those challenges. I mean, it's, it's part of the reason why we see so many people leaving Alaska, particularly young families who are saying, look, I can't make it work up here. I'd love to stay here. These are people who grew up in Alaska that say, I, you know, maybe there's not, a, there's not the right kind of job for them or career progression or housing has gotten too expensive. They can't make it work in Alaska. And this, these are the results of government policies. These aren't the results of the free market. These are the results of government policies on our lives. Yep. And it's incumbent on us to, to, to wake up to the reality as citizens of, of our nation. I know it's hard. I know it's complex. I know there's a lot of competing factors and activity and interests that are out there. And there's a lot of things that are competing for our time. But if we're not serious about understanding what's going on and electing representatives who will go in there with the guts to fix it, well, this is going to be our future. It's only going to get worse. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I agree. This is this is exactly the problem that you're that you're discussing right there. Government. And this is the old Reagan quote, right? Government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. We it's have this problem. interventionalism at every level in the free market, in the ideals, what was supposed to be a small framework to protect us legally protect us from bad people whether through the courts or through the uh through the, the law enforcement or whatever has now become this over bloated overarching thing where you've got to have a regulation for pretty much everything you've got to fill out a form it takes you you know years to be able to you know it takes you years and tens of thousands of dollars to be able to cut somebody's hair i mean this is i mean at that some point people have got to ask questions like what is actually going on government is you know they're talking about health care or uh, uh, child care in the state of alaska part of the problem you know what it takes to become a certified child care worker instead of the old lady who down the street used to take care of your kids and would do it for a few bucks? Now she can't because it's, you know, I mean, government is involved in every aspect of our lives. And I'll tell you right now, the framers at this point would have been down at the Tun Tavern talking a little treason over a beer. Right. I mean, this- I, I tell folks, you know, if the, if the founding fathers were alive today, I guarantee you they'd be on an FBI watch list. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. These people that we celebrate would be unwelcome by our current government. And uh, that's a problem. That's a problem. We should really, I mean, it's it's kind of, it's humorous in a way, but you got to step back and say, how is that healthy for our country? The people who would have founded it today would be the public enemy number one. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you one thing that I mean, we, we, we talk, we talk about 
some, some challenges. One thing that I'm really impressed by right now, uh, I have to say, is what's what's happened to Twitter, or I guess what we're calling X now. Um, we have a forum for free speech again, right? And that's that's actually pushing back on other media companies like Facebook, where this is being streamed live right now. You know, there's there's an opportunity for us to speak again. And we need to do everything that we can to make sure that we have a public square that's open for people to to express their views, to share information without being uh, banned or shadow banned or suppressed in some way. That information needs to be discussed. The, 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 the First Amendment is the First Amendment for a reason. The founders understood that our ability to communicate is what allowed us to actually get to the truth and figure out what's real and what's not real. And uh, to me, that is the issue of our time. That's what the 2024 election cycle is all about. It's about, can we get to the truth? Or are we gonna have the heavy hand of government telling us what's real and what's, what's not real? What we're living in sort of a pre-Orwellian uh, society or moment where we've gotta stand up for the ability to speak and to be heard and to communicate, or we're gonna lose that ability. Uh, heaven forbid, uh, big government bureaucrats on the right or the left move into those those roles post-2024 because things will get worse, not better, if that's the case. Pre-Orwellian, I think you are uh, I think you're being a little uh, being generous, yeah. being a little optimistic there. I mean, look at what's look at what happened with the misinformation and the and the administration during COVID and everything else. Pre-Orwellian, I think we're there. Uh, last, uh, well, you got 30 seconds here, Nick. Give us how do we contact you? How do we find out more? Tell us more about it quickly. Got a really active Facebook page. You can find us at Nick for Alaska out there. Same with uh, Twitter uh, or X, we're calling it now. Nick for Alaska is a handle. Alaskansfornickbaggage.com is our website. We'd love to have your engagement in the campaign. We, we want to continue to expand our base, volunteers. If you got a question, reach out. Um, I'm excited about the opportunity to run for this seat. I think we need more people in Congress that are willing to make the tough choices, push back against big government Republicans and Democrats and say, look, we've got to get back to our original founding yep. principles. We've talked about Mike Lee, Thomas Massey. Nick, These are, we need more people Nick like this. Nick Begich, our guest. Folks, we're out of time. Sorry, I was running up against, I was running hard there against Sorry. the hard break, Mark, Nick. Uh, you don't know how to count. I said 20 seconds. I mean, come on. Is it? Uh, Nick Begich, I will give you the last two minutes here, though, to make your final pitch here for the folks who are here or watching it later or listening to the podcast. Your final, your final thoughts here uh, on the program. Well, the look, I mean, we covered some good ground this morning. And I think um, what I love is the ability to talk at length about some of these issues. Long because, form, yeah. Yeah, long form is what it, where it's at. You know, the, the, the tradition in American politics has been if you can't say it in three to five seconds, you know, you, you're, you're losing. If you're explaining, you're losing. Well, I think if you're explaining... You're winning today because people people are craving truth and information and depth and discussion. And I'm encouraged by that. Right. So we talk a lot about things that we can be negative or have a negative outlook about. But that's a that's a turning point because it allows us to have a real conversation about things like what is the true role of government? What should it be? What's happening in our national debt? What's happening in our southern border and how do we fix it? And uh, the last thing in the world mainstream or, or sort of legacy media wants is an actual discussion. What they want is approved narratives that are reinforced by personalities that people trust. And then they go to bed and say, OK, well, the world is fine. The world's not fine. Things are not great. 
but they can be great if we work together to find the solutions and actually elect people that will implement those solutions in DC. Um, that's what I want to do. It's that simple. Yeah. You know, I think that there, there are folks out there that run for office across this country and they do so for a variety of reasons. I'm doing this because I want to actually go down there and fix problems. I want to open the state up because I believe that Alaska over the next 20 to 50 years, we can be a cornerstone for resource development. When, as we're pivoting out of China, you heard, uh, maybe you didn't hear, but last night, Donald Trump in an interview said that he was ready to impose massive tariffs on China. Well, where's all that manufacturing going to go? I hope it right. goes to the United States. You know, <laughs> but, and, who, uh, but who pays for in, who pays for all those tariffs? Oh, yeah. Wait, well, that's, that's, I know. I mean, you know I mean, we're I not mean, getting into the tariff I know, issue. I know, I know. I'm just saying if he's there and we've got tariffs, we're going to have to do some domestic manufacturing. And that manufacturing needs to start with a resource base here in our state. And in order to do that, you got to have people that can advocate effectively for our state. And our current representative, quite honestly, it doesn't matter how she votes because she's on the wrong team. Even if she voted with the Republicans every time, which she does not, with Nancy Pelosi over 90% of the time. But even if she were crossing the aisle continuously with Republicans, her team on the left doesn't believe that Alaska has a role to play. Outside of being a national park and an interesting place to go, their view is Alaska, look, but don't touch. My view is let's develop the state. Let's develop the resource base that we have. Oil and gas, yes. Critical minerals, base metals, precious metals, rare earths. We have all those things here in Alaska. And if we're going to build a domestic manufacturing base, it's got to start with a resource base. And that's what we've got. I would agree with that. Uh, it's a good opportunity for us. I mean... That's the thing. Long form is the only way. I mean, and that's why media and, and a lot of the, they hate long form because it doesn't fit into their little niches because we get into issues that that allow people to be informed. Uh, but you're seeing more and more of the younger generation, you know, they're, they're all drifting to the long form. Uh, I saw a quote from RFK the other day that where he said that he's doing supremely well with younger generations because they're because of the amount of long form that he's doing. Almost no other politician is doing long form one hour, you know, 90 minute sit downs or podcasts or anything like that. That is the stuff that people want to hear because it, it allows you to get deeper into the issues instead of just the soundbite mentality. And I, I love that. And I'm glad that uh, I'm glad to see that people are coming around to it. I, I totally agree. Totally agree. There's, it, it would be great if you could condense the world's problems down to five seconds of sound bites, but it just doesn't work that way. It's not, it's not reality, right? So if you want to dive deep, you want to understand what's really going on, you've got to have have a long form discussion about it. Um, you know, I'm encouraged to see what Tucker Carlson's been doing on on Twitter. I watch a lot of his. I don't catch it all, but I watch a lot of his uh, content. Joe Rogan on Spotify. Yep. He's got some great content. Um, there's a lot of other voices that are that are popping up. And what's what's interesting, too, is what I've noticed is you see folks who come from the ideological left through long form. They're coming back over to the right and they you can hear it sometimes in their voices. They're having a hard time reconciling their their past beliefs with current reality. But uh, the closer you get to truth the more you realize that there is a limited role of government, that there needs to be fiscal discipline, that right. we shouldn't be intervening right. in every nation around the world. You start to understand, wait a minute, you know, think about this. Think about this. 
we were up in arms over the Russia hoax. Okay, I wasn't, but people people across the country were up up in arms over the Russia hoax. Oh, you know, they interfere with our elections. Let's say that they did. They didn't, but let's say that they did interfere with our elections. Right? Do you realize that Hillary Clinton went on national TV and said of Gaddafi, "We came, we saw, he died." There was no trial for Gaddafi. There was no judicial process for that government. She bragged about overthrowing another country and then turned around in this with the same mouth and said, oh, my gosh, I can't believe someone interfered with our elections. This is absolute hypocrisy. This is absurd, right? It's totally absurd. But you won't hear the mainstream legacy media talk about that. Right. It's only something that you can get into with long form. Yeah, you've got to be able to get into it. You've got to be able to answer the deeper questions. You've got to have a deeper discussion. You've got to be thought-provoking uh, thought provoking about it, and that's what Longform does. So, well, I appreciate you participating. Uh, I guess we'll see you in a couple weeks. We're going to have you on every couple weeks from now on till the election day. Uh, maybe we can get uh, get some more followers over here for you to, uh, to, to get things squared away. Nick Baggage. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate it. Thanks, Michael. All right, folks. Have a great week, everybody. You bet. Uh, folks, we're out of time. Uh, we got to go. Uh, be kind. Love one another. <laughs> it was a long two minutes. I know. That's fine. I told you already. Nick is bad at timekeeping, right? I mean, it's okay. We'll, we'll let it go. Uh, all right, folks, we got to go. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show.